Welcome along to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company today. A uh, big shout out to the sponsors of the podcast, which are charleslouis.co.uk, who are chartered mortgage advisors. They're based in Ramsbottom. Uh, to, and um, Dave is the man who's in charge of that. He's a big city fan. And obviously every company at the moment is looking for as much business as possible. So if you're thinking of taking out a mortgage or you have a company that needs mortgages and you want to support a blue and you want to support a guy who's been supporting me, then I urge you to go to his website and to give him a call. Uh, charleslouis.co.uk. It's a phone number on there. I'm sure if you Google it, uh, you'll find him. So thanks very much for their support. Uh, my guest tonight are Adam, who is a regular on the uh, podcast. So Adam, thank you very much. Uh, we've got Tony, who is effectively a newbie. But um, if you've heard things that I've done in the past, like uh, Blue Tuesday on the BBC or Forever Blue when it was on Excess Manchester, then you may have come across Tony before. And he was on the vlog that we did last night for the Chelsea game. So Tony, welcome. We've also got Kevin Parker, who's the General Secretary of the Manchester City Supporters Club, who is always welcome to come on the podcast and is a, a lovely addition tonight as well. So uh, we have three guests and we have um, a lot to talk about, not least, let's start with the title going to Liverpool. Um, now, all the way through this season, it's been, fair, well, I say all the way, but a, long, a lot of this season, it's been apparent that Liverpool are going to win the league. Is it any easier now that it's over, uh, now that it's, it's finished? And the way it happened is that, I mean, personally, all I can say is that, uh, and I mean this sincerely, I, I'm really sad for the genuine Liverpool fans who can't celebrate in the way that they would want to celebrate, like we celebrated, especially the Aguero one, where we were in the stadium, where it all happened in front of us. And even if you were watching that game on TV, you'd have still enjoyed the atmosphere and the the sheer elation and the energy that came from the crowd that day, which added to it. And I, I do genuinely feel sorry for the Liverpool fans who can't enjoy that. Uh, they've waited a long time. Um, we're all a football family. So I feel sad for that. I know, obviously, we're all tribal. I didn't want Liverpool to win the league either. And not, not like you didn't. But that's how I feel. So how do you guys feel? I think it's been easier to take because we've known that we were going to lose it for so long. So I remember... Um, the year when, after the Aguero moment, the season after that was pretty rubbish. United sort of walked away with it. We've never really lost a really tight, um, a really tight challenge. We've always just been, we've always just peeled away and, and not had a great, a great defence of it. And I think that's made it easier for me personally. If it was a really close one, like I couldn't imagine being a Liverpool fan last year. How amazingly they played to not come away with the title. Um, that must have been horrible. So it's it's. It's been a bit easier, even though you, of course, would rather your team get 98 points. To lose the title on those sort of terms would have been really difficult. And I just think I've come to terms with it a lot earlier. I'm, I'm annoyed, but I, like I said, I've come to terms with it. Do you feel yeah, any sympathy for the, for the Liverpool fans, Adam, just before you, you finish your point? No, not really. No, right. <laughs> they've themselves up enough over the past few years for me to give them no sympathy whatsoever. And quite a lot of them turned up outside Anfield last night, which I think was a disgrace, considering we're... We're, you know, we're, we're having a go at people for turning up at protests and turning up at, um, at beaches. Um, you shouldn't be turning up outside Anfield to celebrate what is a game of football, people kicking the ball around. So they're putting people's lives at risk and uh, it's a real kick in the teeth to people that are shielded like me. Go on, yeah, Tony, I think, I think you were bursting. Oh, sorry, uh, Kevin, bursting to come in. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think we've prepared ourselves, haven't we, for the fact that Liverpool were going to win the league. Whether 
you know, we, we thought it was going to happen three months ago. They were very close to it just before lockdown. So it's not come as a great surprise. Even if the season had not have carried on, they'd have been awarded the league, I'm sure. Um, they've won it in different circumstances. It, that won't matter a fig to Liverpool fans. They've, they've got the Premier League and that's all they're interested in. So, yeah, fair play to Liverpool. I, I can't criticise the way they played this season. They've been... Fantastic. Their record is unbelievable. I still don't think their football on, a, on our day was still the best football team in England, I think. But their record has been incredible. And actually, that's the only bit that I'm a bit uncomfortable about. I'm actually OK with the idea that they've won the league because they deserve it. But there is still a chance that they'll go on and break some of the records that we broke two years ago that I thought would never, ever be broken again. You know, when we got to 100 points and all the goals and, and everything that came with that, I thought to myself, well, those records are going to stand the test of time. And here we are two seasons later, and it looks like they will potentially break um, some of those. But as I said to you last night as well, Ian, I never wish City to lose a game. Um, but I was more comfortable with the idea of us losing the title last night to Liverpool than them coming to the Etihad and winning the title at the Etihad. And it also gives us the opportunity to be the first team to beat the new champions when we play them at the Etihad next Thursday. So I'm sure Pep will have them fired up for that. Um, so yeah, good luck to them. I have no sympathy for them missing out on uh, seeing their team win the title. I think too much water under the bridge between City fans and Liverpool fans, to be honest with you. I, I told you last night, again, Ian, goes back to 2014 when they beat us 3-2 and they were horrible that day. Lots of things went on. Uh, I've not been to Anfield since. I would not go uh, again, really, I don't think. And we've got the whole incident and the Champions League game. So it might sound bitter, but I have no sympathy at all for them, for the fact that they missed out on seeing their team win the title. Tony, welcome to the uh, the podcast. So, here's your platform. What do you what do you make of it? Um, congratulations to Liverpool. Obviously, they've won it, and and I think, like has been said before, um, it, we got to the point that it was inevitable that they were going to win it. So it was just a matter of of kind of when. I think, as Kevin alluded to before, I still think that we are the best football team in that division. Ultimately, um, what has let us down is is the things that have been mentioned before in terms of defensive, um, just silly mistakes that we've made. Uh, that, to me, is the more frustrating aspect. Obviously, the team that, that you know that, that, that get the most points when you know wins the uh, uh, wins the championship at the end of, at the end of the day. But um, there's still that little bit of frustration because I do think we were better than what we've shown um, in in games. Whereas the season before, um, that wasn't an issue. We we seem to have that sorted. Now people may hark back to the you know the, the the company and whether we replaced or we should have replaced company at that stage, um, you know and obviously that's still up for debate ultimately. But um, it is what it is, and I think like Kevin said, I would rather um, that obviously it's it's done and dusted now than having them having to win it at our place or them winning at our place. Um, so it's done and dusted now, and we can concentrate on um, you know the FA Cup and, and the Champions League. Now, you can imagine that there's been a lot of negativity. I mean, we've often spoken on the podcast about balancing the, the positivity versus the criticism that fans have. And 
the, the higher level of expectation that City fans have now in this Sheikh Mansour era means that we're being critical of actually sometimes very good players because that expectation level is so much higher. But inevitably, when you've just lost a league um, and it, until, I mean, even last night, Tony, you were still quietly, not quietly optimistic, perhaps I'm overstating it, but you still believe that the title hadn't quite gone. But now it's gone, you can look at it realistically. And you, inevitably, there will be people who've been negative. So I'll give you an example here. This is a comment on Facebook uh, after I posted up the vlog yesterday. It's from Mike Dunn. And he's and that now you can imagine that Benjamin Mendy's coming for a bit, little bit of stick after the mistake that he, along with Gundogan, made. Um, it's not just Mendy, though. It always seems that he's an accident waiting to happen. City have been a defensive shambles all season. The fact that we're so far behind Liverpool, despite having scored more goals than them, tells you all you need to know about the shambolic defending all season. Only Laporte and at a pinch Walker are Premier League quality defenders and the bizarre refusal to replace company in the summers look more and more foolish as the season has gone on. Pep's and Cheeky's defensive recruitment, with the exception of Laporte, has been awful, as the necessity to play Fernandinho in central defence has illustrated. Much rethinking is needed, and I'm looking forward to seeing Kubiali and Chilwell at the Entiad next season. And not that that would solve all the problems, but it would be a step in the right direction. So, you know, let me get your reaction to, to that. I mean, and, and tell me whatever you think, really, about City's... What's the reason why City have lost eight games this season? Liverpool have lost one. So it is a, a big margin, isn't it, that City have lost a title by? Yeah, listen, eight, losing eight games in the Premier League is... is, And to still be second, by the way, we're still second in the Premier League. That's a lot of games to lose. And, and yeah, you can point the finger, I think, at, at, at some circumstances. You know, the mix-up last night between... Uh, Gundogan and Mendy, which clearly looked to be Mendy's fault. Uh, it wasn't ideal defending for the for the second goal either. But you, you do have to also look look back on the fact that um, uh, the name there that was mentioned was Laporte. Laporte has been out for most of the season, and he would have made a difference. I think prior to last night, I read did I read stats to say that that um, prior to last night that Laporte. In the, in the games that Laporte had played, that City had conceded w one goal from open play in 19 games. Now, that's not just about him, I, I accept, but it's sometimes about the confidence that one player can give to other players. They know that he's going to be there. He does always seem to be a player that's there or thereabout. I'm not sure about Mendy. He flatters to deceive sometimes, but you saw him... Uh, the other night, and he, he looked great, didn't he? he? Looked very comfortable on the ball. He was involved in everything that was happening. Um, I still think that there is a very good player in Benjamin Mendy, but every time we want to give him the opportunity to prove that, he does let us uh, does let us down a little bit. But listen, we can even though we've scored a ridiculous number of goals again this season. I think you can also look back on the number of games where we failed to take chances and we've ended up losing games. At Spurs, it was unbelievable. When we played at Spurs, we could have been 3-4-5-0 in front, including uh, Aguero missing that penalty. Um, if we take our chances in a lot of these games, the goals that we concede do not really have a massive impact on the game. So there's no one straight answer for me as to why we've lost games. There's a combination of different factors. You can blame injuries, and I think the Laporte one 
Laporte one is, is, is a big one. But you could also say we've got the best squad in the Premier League, so we should be able to rely on that. But when you keep getting injuries in the same sort of area, Stones has been injured in and out during the course of the season. Mendy was injured. Uh, Zinchenko got injured for a while. So I do think we have been particularly unlucky with injuries. But it's not just about the defence for me. There are other factors. But I still have confidence. Pep's the best coach in the Premier League, best, best coach in world football, uh, still in my book. And I'm sure he'll get it sorted for next season. Leslie Saint on the same little uh, group of chat that's going on here on Facebook says, uh, one of the reasons we're so poor this season is down to Pep. He should have uh, signed an experienced centre-back to replace Vinny. Uh, and then, of course, Laporte got his injured. Sorry if that upsets a few people, but Pep has a lot to answer. Now, he may yeah, or trophies. may not be typical. Uh, however many trophies in... However, sorry to interrupt. Pep has a lot to answer for, yeah. Mainly success. You know, I think before yesterday, uh, Manchester... OK, there's a little bit of uh, lockdown included in that, but nobody had won a trophy in England for something like 800 days or something, had they? He has, I agree, Pep has a lot to answer for and we should be very, very grateful for it. The three signings that came in the summer, and I'll just throw this one in as well. Well, the two signings, Cancelo and uh, Rodri. Those two, in my opinion anyway, um, certainly Cancelo, have not been at the level I would have expected from a player who is the most expensive fullback ever in the history of the game. And Rodri, his signing has meant that Fernandinho has gone back. Now, Adam, we've discussed this many times in the podcast this season, Fernandinho playing in a different role. I absolutely love Fernandinho. He would be virtually the first player on my team sheet in every single City team, but not in central defence. And that's because of the signing of Rodri. So the person who's criticising Pep there, whilst there might be a lot of people shouting into their headphones or whatever people do when they listen to a podcast, might say, what are you talking about? Pep is God, which is to, to sort of paraphrase Kevin, what he's just said. Um, nevertheless, he was the man who was the manager when those two players came in. A lot of money was spent um, and they haven't been successful. Is that any part of what, why the season has gone the way it's gone? Yeah, I think, I think there is certainly an argument to say that the decision to push Fernandinho back into centre-half and not just say, you are the most important player, as he's said so many times, so you are first player on the team sheet, you should be in midfield. He hasn't done that, and we've criticised that quite a few times in the podcast. And I do believe there is scope for criticism of Pep because of that decision. But we're talking about transfers Pep doesn't have complete control of that transfer. Only Cheeky is the main man on transfers. I'm sure that Guardiola would love to have just splashed 70-odd million or whatever it was on Maguire in the summer. But there was something that just meant that we didn't. And I don't know why. I don't know whether... I don't know if it was Pep that decided he didn't want him. But I'm pretty sure that he will have known that we needed a centre-half. I knew we needed a centre-half in the summer. So surely just Guardiola... Saying that, though, just saying that, though, you, you've used Harry Maguire as an example. And... Um, I don't watch United, uh, certainly not at the moment, in, uh, in behind closed doors. I'm not even, you know, as enthusiastic about watching City while it's in empty stadiums. I'm certainly not going to watch anybody else. But Harry Maguire got lots of criticism from Roy Keane, uh, as much to say, go and get the bus home, you know, um, along with, with the goalkeeper. Do you think Harry Maguire, because he would have been your target, presumably, he would have been Cheeky's and Pep's target, would he have solved that problem then? I... 
I do think he would have done. He certainly would have been better than Otamendi and certainly better than Stones when he's injured and also arguably when he's on the park anyway. I think that United is a bit of a graveyard and certainly has been for the last couple of seasons. You think about Alexis Sanchez over there. I think he would have been great under Guardiola. And I think, same with Maguire, I think he would have been brilliant under Guardiola. I just don't think he's got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and even, and even Mourinho, obviously, with the defensive side of his game, didn't help Sanchez. It's like they just weren't... The, the, the best of their games weren't brought out, and I feel like they've been, they, they've been, they've been undersold in, in that respect by playing for United, really. And I think they would have done a lot better under Guardiola at City. So I think it's hard to judge them as a Man United player when they could have been a Man City player under Guardiola. Yeah, I, I would just say what, what you can't legislate for is is um, is players um, that come in on on the transfer market. Sometimes they come in and they hit the ground running. Sometimes they need a little bit of bedding in and, and, and take time. And I think that's happened obviously with, with uh, Rodri and, and Cancelo. And we kind of always thought that Rodri would be that next season player, similar to I think when Sane came in and and, and one or two different players there. That, that it would kind of be for the next season. So they either come in and gradually sort of uh, put themselves and they were going to be a replacement for, for X and Y and so on. Um, and then on top of that, obviously the injuries that we had at key times with certain players going going out has made the uh, situation a lot worse in, in, in regards to that sense. And then we mentioned, obviously, Sanchez and Maguire. And what's interesting about them is that they were key players that were identified at the time. And uh, as Adam quite rightly said, it's difficult to know whether what their careers would have looked like in terms of their situation, in terms of if they'd have come to City as opposed to uh, being at Manchester United. There's, there was heavy criticism um, regards to Sanchez. Um, and I think that what's happened there with Sanchez is he's not really, it, it's looked like it was purely a money situation, a money decision that he made. And I think that's kind of uh, backfired on him ultimately. I don't think he's a bad player. Now, as we said to United, United are going through a bit of a, a kind of, renaissance at the moment but, but before that they were kind of rebuilding so you know he was a maybe a luxury player all them things and and maybe as that like Adam said if he had maybe come to us he would have been in a more of an established, in an established um, setup which would have maybe helped him so it's, it's difficult really I, I think the injuries I really do think the injuries have played a big part because it's made decisions that, that we that we probably wouldn't have taken having to take um, ultimately that, that just just my opinion on that really. Uh, yeah, I think Cancelo has been a disappointment, but I would also say that he's probably not had the, the run in the team that we might have expected because Walker's been absolutely brilliant this season. You know, Walker has kept him out. And if Cancelo had been in the team, um, he wouldn't have been any better than Walker and we wouldn't have suffered um, any. So, yeah, Cancelo was disappointed, but it, it has maybe helped. It's a lot of money to pay to get that, but it has helped maybe turn Walker into a much better player this season, I think. The question I throw into that, though, is that Cancelo, was he a really necessary signing? City had just lost Vincent Kompany. Um, And by all accounts, Sane was going to be going to Bayern Munich had he not got injured in the Community Shield. Chances are he would have gone in August. Now, you might argue that City don't need a replacement for Sane, but surely they need a replacement for Vincent Company. So why sign a right-back when you clearly needed a centre-back? Well, they, they might have thought, that, they might have thought <laughs> yes, that, that Sane was going to go. Would have got €90 million Euros for it, or £90 million pounds for him. And then they might have been planning to spend that money on a centre-half somewhere. So, you know, plans for players are not made in 
June, July and August. Plans for players are made in January, February, March. So I think City had their plans in terms of who they were going to buy and who they were going to sell well before the transfer window opened. And maybe there were some plans around that, that, that they were just negotiating the right price with, uh, uh, with Bayern Munich for uh, Sane and that he'd have gone, would have brought in 90 million and we, maybe we would have had somebody email. Maybe it was Koulibaly last summer that, you know, with the sold Sane and brought Koulibaly in for similar sort of money. But I think, listen, sometimes also I think we have to realise as much of a disappointing season we appear to have had and losing eight games is just not, and will not help you challenge. Liverpool have been unbelievable. Yeah. Liverpool have won one game, uh, lost one game and drawn two. So we would, how good would we have had to have been to be above them? That means we would have had to have lost one and drawn one and we'd be one point or two points above them. So I think we, we sometimes have to accept that you, you can't win it every year, that Liverpool have been absolutely fantastic. The challenge for the Premier League is next year, but we've won the, we've won the League Cup. We're still in the FA Cup and we're still very, very firmly in the Champions League. And if we win those three trophies, if you want to include the Community Shield, as Pep likes to, that would be four trophies in this season. So if we won the Community Shield, the League Cup, the FA Cup and the Champions League, and Liverpool win the Premier League, who's had the better season? That's a lovely positive response from, yeah. from you, Kevin. Um, but so let me ask the other two, because clearly you're still buoyant and confident. The FA Cup is on Sunday now against Newcastle. The Champions League doesn't happen until August. But having watched them lose to Chelsea, having known that City have lost eight league games this season, um, and... and I don't know how playing behind closed doors is going to factor into this at all because I'm, I'm still not convinced the games are, are the same as they would normally be. But are you, you two, let's start with you, Adam, are you confident that City are going to do what Kevin uh, not only hopes but thinks is, is a distinct possibility, which is win the FA Cup and maybe finally win the Champions League? I think it's hard to say what I think it's going to happen. I think, I think we can do it. I think, we're I think we're very capable of doing it. I think... Maybe even conceding the league last night puts a mental reset or clicks the mental reset button in terms of the league is completely done. That's literally now a warm up for the FA Cup and the FA Cup and the, the Champions League ties that will come after. I think we've really just got to set our sights on those trophies now because think about it. If, if at the start of the season you said to me in our podcast, listen, um, fast forward however many months, maybe. Maybe not include coronavirus in that, but um, we'll give you a, a, a Champions League, an FA Cup and a, a League Cup. Wow, I'd, I'd, I'd snap their hand off at that. No problem. I always think that the Premier League is obviously your bread and butter. You want to win it every single year. That's the, we are, Listen, Adam, we all would have snapped that yeah. off. The, the question is now, do, uh, because some people, I'm not saying me, I'm just, obviously I just put the other side of the argument in these things, but there are people out there now, and, and I can find them, I can read them out to you, but I've certainly read them today, that people are saying, winning the Champions League with that defence, are you for real? You're being optimistic. Kevin's being optimistic. And I know Tony's optimistic. But is that realistic to expect City to not only get past Real Madrid, but then three more opponents with this defence? Yeah. And who plays in the defence? Yeah. 
I, I just I just think I listened to the commentary last night and and I do I really do respect Len Hoddle and, and, and how he talks. I love I love the way he talks. Similar to me, uh, like Ray Ray Wilkins, you know, God bless him. I thought he was brilliant as well in terms of some of the games. But for me, um, our the way that it, the way Glenn sort of talked about was in the opening sort of 10, 15 minutes. He he totally changed his he changed his mind. And said that defensively we were shocking, but yet in the opening ten or fifteen minutes we were unplayable, we were untouchable, and for whatever reason something happened then. Now whether that was Lampard getting ahead of um, in tactically shoring things up, stopping the space that, that that was there obviously because we were able to dominate that space. I don't know. So maybe Chelsea did something different rather, rather than ourselves. So I think that the press then jump on that, and I think what we'll hear now from 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 a lot of um, pundits is that they are vulnerable they can get beat sort of thing so and I think that obviously Pep has got to ensure that the mindset is right for uh, you know the, the, the Champions League and, and the FA Cup games also but you know Tony that it's not just the press I accept what you're saying it is the press do think that way but so do the fans because the fact is that if Raheem Sterling's effort had gone in rather than hit the post if Mendy and Gundogan hadn't had that little moment of of um, you know freeze brain or whatever it was, and then the the goal scored. We would have been we as fans would have been discussing that performance very very differently. If City had have won at Chelsea, we'd be sitting here saying, "All right, we're not going to win the league. Liverpool are going to win it." But just look at this team. They just swept Arsenal aside, just swept Burnley aside. Now they swept Chelsea aside away from home, and it's we're talking fine margins here, aren't yeah. we? You know, like you, you've used Glenn Hoddle as an example, but he would be typical. If, I bet if we sat and did it as a as a watch thing where we were talking during the game, mm. we may well, as, as, a, as a foursome, have been saying, well, I think the defence is doing all right. Yeah, Mendy started the game all right and be a lot more positive. And then as soon as a mistake happens, you suddenly, I don't mean this as a personal thing, Tony, but we as people... We have a habit of doing this as human beings. We sort of completely do a U-turn and change our minds. It's the human nature. Fans do it as well, don't they, Adam? Come on. Yeah, they do. And I, yeah, I, I found myself last night for the first for the first half thinking, yeah, this is this is fine. Yeah. All right with this. Even at one nil down, thinking, all right. Obviously, the Kevin De Bruyne free kick goes in, going. You know what? I think we'll go and win this. Turn it's the post. I'm still thinking we're going to win this. We're going to win this. And then there's like two goal line clearances that go in. I'm thinking, hang on, this is looking a bit dodgy here. So then it's a complete change of mindset. And it is fine margins. And But the Champions League and the FA Cup, those cup competitions, are won on fine margins. Chelsea, 2012, they weren't the greatest team going. They won the Champions League. They've been trying for 20 years. They had a lot better teams than that that they won it with. We know that competitions aren't won by being the most amazing team ever. Sometimes that happens. Now, a lot of times it doesn't. Sometimes you need that rub of the green. So we might have it. And that, that's why I think we can do it, because I think on our day, we're better than anyone. And if we turn up, we'll, we'll, we can win. Defences and goalkeepers are crucial, aren't they, in winning the Champions League, Tony? Totally. And I also think as well, having that uh, confidence between the players that are there and understanding is something that we've lacked. Because if you look, I think in the last couple of changes, there's been uh, 12 changes in the last two games. And a lot of them have affected our back four. Ultimately, obviously, Edison, Edison apart, but we've changed a lot there. And I think that has a, a knock-on effect. And I think Kevin alluded to that in terms of it's not naturally necessarily the defensive that, that are the issues, because if you change something at the back, it has a knock-on effect further up the field because of in the that way sense, that I... 
In that sense, Liverpool have been a lot more consistent in their team selection, haven't they? Yes, Uh, and I think that's something that that, that, that Pep is... I think when substitutions are made with Pep, I do believe that he he, he says at half-time, I'm bringing you off on 58 minutes, I'm bringing you off on 62 minutes, irrespective of whatever you do, I'm bringing you off. And I think his changes he made last night made us weaker in some cases because obviously it left the situation there where we had no pace at the back I think it was uh, Fernandinho and Otamendi at one stage there facing Tammy Abraham. Now, Tammy Abraham has got pace to burn. And I felt then we were scared to, to kind of push up where we were pushing up quite a high line initially in the first half. We dropped, we dropped, and there was a bigger space there. And we were perfect for being counter-attacked last night. And that was purely down to the, the defensive structure and the players in them positions for me. There was no pace there. Um, oh. You know, just yeah, and it was poor. But I think he was going to make them changes because he decided that whatever happens, them changes are going to be made because I am thinking of uh, of the next game. And he alluded to that a couple of times, to be fair. Well, what we'll do is we'll come back to the team selection potentially for the Newcastle game uh, in a few minutes. But because particularly because I've got Kevin with us tonight, and obviously with now three games into behind closed doors. It's not going to change. This is the new reality, certainly for this season. So the question is not about, you know, was it wrong or right? Because it's happened now. But really, I'm just interested as the general secretary of the supporters club, Kevin, um, you know, what your view is, what you think the fans' view is on, first of all, it happening in the first place. And now the way it's unfolded, um, you know, what's your view? Well, we did a bit of a survey for the Football Supporters Association, Ian, and, uh, as to whether supporters, this was prior to uh, Project Restart, um, what their views were. And the majority of them felt that in the current circumstances that you know football shouldn't be played uh, behind closed doors without the ability for fans to, uh, to get into the stadium. And that hasn't changed very much. Um, some of that will, I would have to say, some of that would probably be because some supporters will think, well, if football isn't played, Liverpool are not going to win the league. So there is a little bit of, of that as part of it. Um, not everybody, but there is a little bit. You could see that when you looked on Twitter and social media that people just didn't want football to restart because it meant that if Liverpool were going to be awarded the league, there was definitely three or four asterisks against their name for this season. Whereas if it restarts and it's behind closed doors and you've got um, uh, these uh, drinks breaks after every 22 and a half minutes and you've got, you can bring on five substitutes out of nine and all the other things, then, okay, maybe there's only two asterisks against their name rather than four. (laughs) Um, But now that it's started, to be honest, but there is an element I would also have to say is that there doesn't appear to be any plans, I think, for this calendar year for, there's a few rumours, but I don't think there's any plans for this calendar year for football fans to get into the stadium to start to watch the teams. So the suggestions apparently that was in the mirror today, and I I wonder how you'd feel about this and and all three, and whether it's true or not, I don't know, but one suggestion apparently, I've not read it, I was told about it, was that um, clubs may bring some corporate supporters back into grounds as a sort of testing ground um, for the, the return. Now, I can see they're Adam on a, they're reacting on a hiding to that. For nothing. They're on a hiding to nothing. I, it's impossible to do that. You, 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 listen, and I, you know, Ian, I do use corporate, but you cannot 
favour the corporate bands over other bands. It's just not on. Well, you know what will happen then is there is a danger that the, there's already some fans talking about walking away, that they've got out of the habit of going to football or they didn't want football to start behind closed doors. If football clubs prioritise corporate supporters before general supporters so that even general supporters don't get an equal share, some people will turn their backs on football completely because it will just prove this. Listen, we all know that football has restarted really because of the money, because of the pressure that Premier League teams were under. And if you now say that they're going to trial it with um, corporate customers, that's just going to make it even worse. I don't understand that either, by the way, because a lot of corporate customers are actually going to be enclosed in, in, in suites, in, in smaller areas. Surely that's a, a, a bigger chance of COVID-19 being transmitted. Whereas if you bring in uh, the general supporter who's on a bigger concourse and sat, in, sat outside, and they've less chance, haven't they, of... Well, I'm certainly not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying that was a, a rumour that was suggested. So it's interesting to get your reaction to it. And Adam and Tony can weigh in on this as well. So let me broaden out the question and say, uh, it might not happen this season, but certainly once we get into next season, um, you know, it may well be that they have to gradually reintroduce supporters. Uh, there are 40,000 season ticket holders at City. Um, some suggestions I've seen is that, and these are just suggestions, is that maybe half capacity or a third capacity might be allowed. So whatever it is, and you've already expressed, Kevin, the, um, the sort of, you know, and, and, and although we couldn't see Adam, maybe with his, his gestures, we couldn't know what he was thinking. That if corporates are suddenly the first ones who are allowed back in, that won't go down well. What if 27,000? What if 20,000? What if 10,000? of season ticket holders allowed in, but 30,000 aren't. And if the answer that, to that is a straight no, and it's up to you how you answer it, what is the way back? Is it just all or nothing? Um, can I just say every fan matters? Sort of get that in. Um, because I think if you are going to choose a set of supporters, um, Kevin, I, I just want to pick you up on the fact that um, I think if you were to bring back the, the general fan, ultimately you sat a lot closer. Although you are in, in corporate, in a, uh, you know, inside space, actually. I think you've got more room than, than you would be if you were a general supporter sat quite close together. So I could understand if they were going to do it that way, that, that it would make sense to do it that way. Because if you were then to bring, like, like Ian has said, and I think Ian has alluded to it before, if you were to uh, bring only 10, 10, 30,000 back or 20,000 back, um, your problem you've got ultimately with, with, with the fans is that, that you are very, very close together from, from, oh, okay, the concourse might be slightly different, but you're certainly a lot closer together than you would be in a, in a corporate facility. So I think there's, there, there may be some merit on that, but if they are going to bring um, a set of people back, then I would have, maybe corporate might be the first set of people that you bring back. I think, I think it might be, might be a good idea to use those corporate areas, but why do you need to be filled by corporate? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think if they're the only places that need to be, that, that, that can be brought back, and I think there's a good argument because you think about the toilets on the concourse, you think, mm -hmm. and the amount of people that are sharing those same toilets, which would be a lot less if, if it's just the corporate suites, maybe five, six, ten, whatever it is, and they're opening one. Um, but you could do a ballot. I'd quite, I'd quite happily have a ballot if it's 20,000 people um, you could either do it with just season ticket holders, but that's quite harsh on non-season ticket holders that go quite a few as well. So you could put a ballot, a straight entry ballot, 
um, for whoever wants to go into it uh, to apply for tickets for a certain game. And you get those just like you get the away allocation that sometimes we, we, we all miss out on. Yeah. So I'd, I'd be quite happy with that, really, if that was the way to do a return to it. If it's just the corporate people, it's a disgrace. But me sat here saying it's a disgrace. Who cares about my opinion? It's the money. Let's be honest. I, a few people will disappear from the seat and say the disillusion with football. But someone will fill that seat, sadly. Everyone's going to do it. I'd fill someone else's seat somewhere else if I didn't have a season ticket. So it's a shame. We're so disposable nowadays. It doesn't matter whether we're there or we're not. Uh, in, in terms of, obviously, masses, in terms of 40,000, you can tell that it, it matters when we're in empty stadiums. But in terms of an individual, you're always, you know, can be, can be replaced. So Nobody's going to ask me my opinion, but they might ask you your Kev, yours, Kevin, General Secretary of the Supporters Club. If the club come to you and say, what's your suggestion? How, how do spectators come back in? Is it 55,000 one day just reappear? Or is there a phased return? Is there corporate return? What would you prefer? What would you, what would you suggest as the representatives of the fans as to the way fans return to football? I don't want to put you under too much pressure. <laughs> but they might, they might ask you. They might ask you. They won't ask me. They'll ask you, maybe. I probably would like to be asked. But, um, listen, I don't think that the clubs are going to have the final say on this. It will be government-led. I'm sure the same like going to concerts and, you know, theatres. It's going to be government-led as to how many, what percentage of people are going to be allowed in a football stadium. If, it's, if they're suddenly going to say, well, from the 1st of January, everybody's going to be allowed in, that's great. I have a feeling what they're probably going to say is a certain percentage of each stadium will be allowed into the stadium. And the fairest way to do that, listen, we have 55,000 home gates for a home, uh, for a home game. So that falls into a very nice percentage. A percentage will be season card holders. A percentage will be away fans. A percentage will be hospitality. And a percentage will be match day sales. And then you just, whatever percentage they fall into, then whether it's 30,000, then you allocate the percentage amongst those fans. So how? How do you mean how? Well, then you'd probably have to do a ballot. Hmm. And if you win the first ballot, then you can't go to the second game. And if you go to the second game, it, you go back to the people for the third game. It's not going to be easy because you might end up splitting up families or ending up splitting up groups who normally go together. It's certainly not going to be easy. But what, what we can't do, and I heard somebody say a week or so ago, well, I, I don't think we should let anybody in until everybody is allowed in. So we, we shouldn't accept half the stadium. The reality is what that might mean is the 19 other Premier League clubs are allocating seats to supporters and they've got fans behind them every game and we at City are not letting anybody in and that's impossible to do. There's not going to be any perfect scenario and but I think you've got to allocate the, the, the seats as a percentage amongst your group of fans and then you probably the fairest way is probably going to be some form of ballot. I don't think you can do it on loyalty points. I think that's that's too heavily biased towards one set of supporter. Um, so, yeah, a ballot is probably going to be the fairest way. And if it's going to be, listen, if it's going to be half the stadium can attend, the reality is that means that every supporter is going to miss one game in two. But from a positive as to where we are now, it means we're going to be able to attend yeah. one game in every two. And at the moment, we can't attend anything. So it's not going to be easy. It has to be a fair system. 
if the club are involved, they have to speak to the various sports group, the supporters, uh, the sports club, City Matters, 1894. And I, I think it has to be a fair spread across the board. Won't be easy, but they've got to speak to the fans and get a consensus of what we think should happen. Whatever decision is made, um, people will be upset and say that's the wrong decision. What this conversation, I think, illustrates is that whatever direction they go in, not everybody's going to be pleased by the outcome of this. I mean, the only thing I can say is that there may be a percentage of fans who walk away from the game as a result of this, because there are some disgruntled fans who, uh, you know, have, have, and, and obviously there'll be a percentage of people who've lost their income or lost their jobs. And there may be even a group of people who are of a certain age who, eat, unless there's a vaccine um, or a com completely, um, you know, a drug that's going to completely save everybody, um, they're not going to actually want to take the risk even if they win it in the ballot. So there's 55,000 people in the ballot. It might be that 10,000 of them go, no, don't count, I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. um, and you can imagine also that those people then, then pass their ticket on to somebody else. So the, there's no way of, of this being perfect, is there? No. It's got, but it's got to be seen to be perfect. I think sometimes how it operates beyond the allocation of tickets, because you're right, person A might pass the, the ticket on to person B. That's not so much the issue. The issue is about getting the, the safe number of people in the stadium. But as long as the, the criteria is perceived to be fair, if other people abuse it, there's not a great deal you can do about it. That's no different than ticketing systems being abused now somebody gets an away ticket and pass it, passes it on to somebody else the system has to be seen to be fair if other people further down the line abuse that there's not a great deal the club can do about that to be honest with you unless if Go people on. are caught then they can deal with it let's see what you're going to say for yourself here on this one adam well i'm one of those people that wouldn't know whether to return or not because obviously i'm shielding myself at the minute so i'm classing the vulnerable the vulnerable group and it would be strange to see people allowed back in the stadium, but me not feel safe to leave the street, never mind the state, go into the stadium. But I would look at it as a, in a selfless point of view. I'd, I'd rather 20,000 fans be in there and me not be one of them than just me to say, you know what, I'm not allowed in. So, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want anyone to be in there. I'd just pass my season ticket to my dad or someone else I, as long as I think we just we just need to get people in as soon as possible, and and like like you say there, it's um it's about making sure that it seems to be fair. It's, it's fair at the point of access. Anything else that goes on after that, it's you, can, you can't really you can't. Yeah, we really. can't we can't really do much about that, can we? But I, I think between us, though, interestingly enough, I think you wouldn't go far wrong with the things that that Kevin and Adam uh, have kind of suggested ultimately. Uh, that that seems the the most obvious way that that you could do. Um, and, and as Kevin quite alluded to say, that if it is that kind of 50%, then, you know, we want every, every other game that you'd be able to attend, you know. So, but yeah, I, I, I'm of the same opinion. I, I want to get, I think we want to get fans back in there. However, whatever numbers that, that, that is, I'd like to see fans going back in there. But I do I do think, Kevin, I do think that, that you are looking at beginning of January. Um, you know, I don't think it would get much earlier than that, to be honest. Let's, let's just... Without, before we move back to the football specifically, just let me ask you a question again about the behind closed doors, but not about the philosophy of whether it's right or wrong, but just purely about the football. Now, do you feel, having watched three City games now, that if there'd been a crowd in the stadium, we would have seen the same three games? Or has there been a noticeable difference from your perspective on the football we've seen 
in this new reality? I, I, would, I would just like to say I haven't seen that much different with, with Man City. I've seen, it, I've seen it with other teams in the way that they've started. Uh, you know, and, and a majority of the games have, have been very kind of slow, um, slow build-up, a, a cat-and-mouse type situation, nil-nil at half-time. I don't think City have changed. I think City, uh, you know, Pepper's got them certainly fired up to the point that they're, they're playing irrespective of whether there's fans there or not. I don't think that, that has changed from, from Man City's point of view. I do think that, that, that I mean, I, I've chose to watch the game uh, without the crowd noise. I quite like the, the sound of the, um, you know, the players. Uh, I quite like the hearing the managers, you know, when you can and such like. And it's interesting as well. I also think as well, the game seems a little bit faster. Uh, the tackles seem a little bit more furious when there's no sound, you know, there's no sort of uh, crowd sound and things like that. I've noticed that, that, that for me. I've also noticed that there's not so much uh, play acting. Um, I'd seen it on a couple of times. I think the Arsenal game where a player went down and then literally kind of he got up sort of pretty much straight away when realising there was nothing. So I think there has been some positive things from that point of view, um, you know, in regards to the play acting and that sort of thing. Um, but Man City, from what I can see, uh, haven't really changed in terms of the way that they play. Adam, I think, I think in this, the, the first half an hour of games, the, certainly the first two were a lot were a lot slower. I felt than. Uh, when we were before the break, when we had the crowd, and I think that was because of not because of fitness, and you know we're only just coming back. So I think you grow into a game like that. But then I think, as you mentioned there, I think the, the opposition has changed more. They're they're sitting back a bit more, sitting off us. I think, and I think that's affected our game. So I think we've been slower because we teams have been harder to break down. It's very much a matter of um, we're not going to really go for you, and you're not going to really go for us that much. Yeah. Sort of like a real, a real face-off, I can see. And without the crowd there to, to G someone up and say, listen, we need to, you need to like make something happen now. We, 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 you've stood on the halfway line passing between your full-back and, uh, and your centre-half for five minutes. We need you to go and do it. I feel like that urgency isn't there because the fans aren't urging them on to do that. So I do feel like less moments have happened in games because it's been very much like I'll wait my I'll wait my turn I'll wait five minutes till that perfect opportunity arises rather than taking risks I think with a crowd in there there's more of a risk taking aspect because you're pushed by the fans to make to take those risks yeah but having said that I, I think that the, the way that city play anyway is that we do play that patient game and at times I sometimes get a little bit frustrated when we don't kind of take that shot when we need to and that we ultimately try and walk the ball in at times. So I think from that point of view, what, what as you've alluded to say there, is that the, the opposition are not basically going chasing the ball back. Um, what they're doing is basically, right, you, you've got it, so we'll retreat and then we'll wait until you come to us. What normally happens in a game situation like that, when fitness obviously kicks in, is that you will send one or two players up there to go and chase and harry. And that then opens it up for, for Man City. And that's how we kind of manoeuvre the ball, don't we, a lot, of, a lot of the times. So I have seen that, and it does feel a little bit like that, uh, probably like you would get in a pre-season game where people are trying to find the feet and they're not committing too much. They're kind of hanging back and so on and so on. Um, but the way that we play anyway, I don't, you know, we, we, we're quite happy to hold on to the ball. We're quite happy to, 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 to go 18-yard box and then go back if we have to. You know what I mean? So from that point of view, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, I, th I think the I think the Arsenal and the Burnley Burnley games pretty much went how I, how I expected them. I agree that the, the, they started off a little bit slow. Certainly the Arsenal game, I think, um, 
but it, it would have been a typical sort of game at the Etihad anyhow, that we yeah. got ourselves into a very comfortable position yeah. and, and we just take control of the game and we squeeze it and we take the, you know, we don't put any great pressure on ourselves. So 3-0 at home to Arsenal, 5-0 at home to Burnley. It, they were sort of as we would expect them to be without having, without appearing to have a great competitiveness about them. I thought the game last night against Chelsea was different. I thought it was quite a competitive game, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, I don't think it lacked. I don't think they missed the crowd as much as the other two games did. I thought, and maybe that's because the two very, very good teams. I think, you know, two sets of good players who were very competitive, loads of skill. I actually thought it wasn't a bad game last night, to be honest with you. And there were periods of time that you, you almost forgot there was no crowd there in, in a strange way. I thought the quality was quite good. Yeah. So losing losing to Chelsea last night might might still have been the same had it been played three months ago with a full you know with a full crowd in the stadium because I think both teams gave as much as they possibly could have done and weren't affected by the fact that we're no, there was no crowd in there. So now we move on to the Newcastle game in the FA Cup. Newcastle away um, is usually an intimidating place to go. Uh, Newcastle fans tend to make a lot of noise. I've got a lot of admiration for Newcastle fans. And obviously we slipped up there in the last couple of years and not got the results that we've wanted. Um, it'll be different this time. And bear in mind what Tony's just said. I, I actually think that this new behind closed doors system suits City. I think it suits them having a bigger squad. Then it'll bring five subs on. And I think the way that they pass the ball around suits them. I think Burnley fell into the trap of trying to play City at their own game, um, whereas Burnley, I mean, obviously we've we've battered them in the last couple of times we've played them at home, but have generally been perceived as being a bit more of a physical team who might hit it long. And we, we didn't see them hit it long at all. They, they went back to uh, trying to just play the way we do. I wonder if that's what Newcastle, that the problem for them, Newcastle will have, is that this is behind closed doors, so they don't have the advantage of the home stadium and the home noise. So that gives us a massive benefit. We have got the, the biggest squad. Um, so I personally expect City to win, frankly, quite comfortably at Newcastle. Um, but equally, it just comes off the back of a defeat. Tell me what you think about the prospects of City winning, but also tell me the side you would pick, given that Mendy's had some stick, um, you know, that the Sane's hardly been used. Uh, we don't know the full extent of whether Foden, there's rumours that he might have a bit of an injury or problem, but I'm guessing he was left out yesterday just to keep him safe for that Newcastle game, which Pep said he was prioritising. So what team do you pick and how confident do you feel about Newcastle behind closed doors at St James's Park? Uh, well, Newcastle are 24 points behind City in the Premier League, so that gives you an idea of the difference between the two teams. I think the crowd would, especially in the cup game, Playing at Newcastle, their home crowd would have an impact. So that becomes a bigger loss to them than it does to us. Because as you know, when we're at Newcastle, we're so far up in the gods anyhow that the away fans don't have a, a massive impact. Um, so I, I, I'm with you, Ian. I, it's a game I would expect us to win, uh, uh, really. Uh, I know Newcastle had a good win the other day against Sheffield United. Um, that came into play a little bit like we did. But that came into play when Sheffield United went down to 10 men. You know, prior to that, I don't think Newcastle looked 
certainly didn't look as if they were going to win the game three nil. In terms of uh, in terms of uh, the team, I think he'll rotate it again as much as it, as much as he he possibly can because he doesn't want players to play too much for fear of getting injured. So I think I don't think Mendy would have started anyhow. I think Zinchenko will come in. Uh, to be honest with you, I think he'll keep Kyle Walker though um, because of. Um, it, Pep's already said that it's a game that he wants to win. Uh, he'll play Laporte at the back. He'll probably play Otamendi because... What about Garcia? Could he be back by that? that uh, well, he said two games, but that, so he could be. That's a good shout. Because uh, Fernandinho is going to be suspended, isn't he? Um, yeah. And then he'll play Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, he'll play Raheem Sterling. He'll play Jesus. He'll play Mares, who seems to be almost a first choice these days, I think. Um I think he might start with David Silva and then it's one other. I mean, Rodri, uh, Gundogan, you know, one of those two, I think. Um, he'll pick his strongest team he possibly can. But I think the point I'm making is if, if Mendy doesn't play, I think Mendy won't play not because of what happened mm. last night. I think Mendy won't play because he would have played Zinchenko, I think, anyhow. Tony? Um, I, I, I agree. I agree to a certain extent and I agree with... Um, the, the Mendy situation, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before really, doesn't it? That um, when we say that um, a player um, stays in the side irrespective of whether he's having a good game, I think Peppers, as you know, we've seen players there that have played three or four games and then they've, they've, they've come out of the side because he likes to, to rotate. Um, I do think Fernandino would have played with Laporte on, mm. on Sunday. I think that would have been the, the, the choice that he would have liked. I think that does leave a little bit of a, a problem for me in the fact that if it is Otamendi, um, they have got pace up front. And I think what they, you know, if they watched, which I'm sure they would have, if they watched the game on uh, last night, they would see that there's an opportunity there with Sam Maxim. I think obviously Joe Linton's hitting this, but they've got players there who can who have got pace. Um, I think, De Bruyne, yes, I would totally agree with uh, De Bruyne and, and David. Um, I actually think that Foden, I actually think that Foden will be available and, uh, and will start. Um, I don't think he's that comfortable with Jesus playing um, up top in the same way that, that, that Aguero's a focal point. I think it's the fact that Aguero's not there will be a big plus for Newcastle because Aguero scores against Newcastle every time he plays against them. So I think that's a really big plus from, from their point of view. Um, so I think it will be that kind of system again um, on uh, that he played last night, where it's it's kind of a, a false number nine. Um, and I think obviously then um, I think but I, I think you've got to include Bernardo. I like Bernardo Silva to be honest. I think he makes a big difference. I think we've got to have lots of energy, and I think with Foden, with Bernardo, um, I think that you get that. I felt there was a little bit of that last night missing. The energy didn't seem the same as last night. It did when David came on. Um, you could see the difference and, and, and what have you. So um, I, I agree with uh, Kevin. I think there will be uh, plenty of rotation, but I think he will go for that for the players that, that we've mentioned there, with, with David and De Bruyne, um, and, and I think Foden will be the, the one that comes in. Yeah, I, I agree with those with the two selections uh, that you just mentioned completely. Uh, in terms of like the the way that I feel the game is going to go, I think Newcastle. Like we say, they, they, they've got a chance of getting a, getting a goal, getting two goals if they can hit us on the break. They've got fast players going forward. And I think that means it's even more important that we finish our chances. You know, in all the games that we've, we've not won this season, you can't really think of many apart from uh, the game at Anfield where 
we shouldn't have won it. It's, that's the same. It's been happening to over two or three seasons now. The reasons why we haven't won games is because we haven't taken our chances and then we've conceded that one or two goals that from the mistakes that we're always going to make by playing a high line. Um, and then it all gets blamed on the defence. So we need to make sure that we, we really take those chances that we're going to get. We are going to get a lot of chances uh, at the weekend. And we just got to make sure we take, we take them so that if they are to score one goal or whatever, um, then it, it won't matter. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hopefully seeing Foden play again. Because I loved him. I loved him playing... Um, uh, it was earlier in the week. It's gone so quick. Monday. Yeah, I know. Monday. Yeah, Monday. <laughs> we played Monday. Amazing. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully we get to see him this weekend. And, uh, yeah, we need creativity. And I'd be quite happy to have a false number nine. Um, really get it in the mixer. Have people moving from left to right. No one really has a position. Everyone's moving around so we can shuffle their pack and try and create those spaces and make sure that we, like like I say, finish those chances and, and make sure those those chances that Newcastle get don't matter. On Gabriel, just can I just say, people seem to forget, I think, that Gabriel played, started the game at Real Madrid. Aguero was on the bench and, you know, played a fantastic... I know he played him slightly left, but I thought Gabriel showed exactly how good he is when he was at Newcastle. And on the Liverpool game, you're right, but had Michael Oliver given the penalty that he should have given, we might have gone on to win that game. <laughs> Who knows, it's olives and buts, but... Yeah. We never forget those decisions. We pro- we still remember that Alf Gray decision all those years back, don't we? Ian? We certainly do. <laughs> that was against Liverpool as well. In the semi-final <laughs> of the League Cup, but uh, only a certain age group will remember that. Adam's certainly too young. <laughs> Listen, what you've done, guys, is you've cheered me up because you know City uh, lost the league last night. I know it wasn't just about that, but lost the league last night. A lot of doom and gloom about uh, some from some of the City fans. But it seems that we're all in positive mood now ahead of the Newcastle game. Thanks very much to Tony. I'm sure we'll see you back on the podcast again, Tony. So thanks Thank for you for the invite, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks to Adam, uh, always as reliable. And Kevin, of course, uh, the, uh, the General Secretary of the Supporters thank Club. You. I'd like to thank charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, um, who you can find on the internet, on internet, mm-hmm. as we say in the, the North. Um, charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors. Absolutely ready to take your call and give you your advice. If you're buying, if you're selling, if you're letting, whatever it might be, give them a call. Ask for Dave. Say you heard about it on the Forever Blue podcast. Tell me you're a City fan and then uh, you'll get special service. We'll do another podcast next week. City play Liverpool, in case you need me reminding you, next Thursday. So we'll do another podcast at 7.30. Well, that's our kickoff time, uh, but it'll be up and running later in the evening, next Friday. Uh, and of course, there will be match day vlogs against Newcastle and Liverpool. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, as always, it's good to be a blue. See you next time. Mm-hmm.